0: The night lops forward into the early morning twilight, even the Grand Hotel lobby is lit dimly. Cranston and Vivian Walker have been welcomed to New York City by the Black Twins, Michael and Gabrielle. The city's newest socialites have treated their guests to live jazz and forbidden spirits. Now, they return to the hotel to prepare for the discussions of enterprise and fortune but the swiftly breaking day as promised. Loosen your cravats and release yourself from those ideal shoes. It's time for Neon Jezebel.
1: This episode of Neon Jezebel will continue in just a moment. But first, a word from our sponsor. Throughout history, brave men have answered the call of justice whenever the authorities could not. In America, we have the local vigilance committees. These modern-day Robin Hoods operate wherever crime does. They don masks so that the shopsters, lawbreakers, and gangsters of the underworld cannot exact vengeance upon their families. The last year has seen a sharp rise in crime in our fair city. The devil alcohol has a stranglehold on many of our citizens, a hold so tight that it will take more than a constitutional amendment to break it. It will take the courage and dedication of the men of our law enforcement agencies to exercise spirits once and for all. Answering this call is none other than the Silver Sabres. The Silver Sabres are the oldest and most storied vigilance committee in New York City. They not only uphold the law, they uphold the heritage and tradition of the Empire City itself. Their leader is Silver Star, who has the honor of being the only vigilante deputized by the state of New York. Anyone on the team can tell you, he's the brains of the outfit. The brawn is Silver Fist, standing and imposing 5 feet 11 inches tall and weighing in at 220 pounds, Silver Fist is impossible to miss. If I didn't know any better, I'd say it was Tom Jenkins under that mask. If a gangster gets lucky, he can escape Silver Fist. But he will never outrun Silver Streak, the fastest man in New York. He's almost as fast as Olympic champion sprinter Charlie Paddock. The two have even raced each other and are, pardon me, fast friends. And who's this beauty? Why it's none other than Silver Fox. She's no stenographer. She's America's favorite vigilantess, but gentlemen don't get any ideas about letting her catch you. Silver Fox handles the apprehension of criminal women, because upholding American values means upholding common decency. And when the ladies are behaving themselves, she makes quite a mascot. Wowza. So if you see bootleggers or scofflaws in your neighborhood, tell your operator that you want to talk to the Silver Sabres. Help keep New York safe with the Silver Sabres. And now, back to our show. All right, sister. Can I get you a nightcap? A finger of whiskey? Best not.
2: I had to down two glasses just to keep myself from slapping Michael.
1: Did he get fresh with you? I'll challenge him to a duel. Worse.
2: He was a bore.
1: Oh, dear. Sherry, then. Perfect. So just what sort of bore can a man that young and well-traveled be?
2: You saw how moony he was at dinner. I thought a tipple might liven him up, but the boy spent the whole night talking about his father and that reporter girl he met.
1: Ah, the poor devil's discovering that living in a penthouse has responsibilities.
2: (laughs) You're one to talk. Two years you've been back from France, and I'd say you've spent barely six months at home.
1: That's not fair, Vivian. He spent the war at a colonial boarding school and came home to a high society gala. I came home late for a double funeral.
2: I was there to pick you up, remember? You were the saddest boy on the dock.
1: Right. Well, that's the liquor turning on us.
2: Indeed. This is no time for melancholy.
1: No, we've got to deal with the Patriarch tomorrow.
2: Yes. The current edition of the contract still has a few sacrificial lambs in it, should we need them. We have to stand firm on rights of inspection. That's the main thing.
1: Right. Right. By the time St. Moon's vaccine, whatever that turns out to really be, is on the ships, it will be too late to scuttle without getting the company's hands dirty.
2: Precisely. But in the event that the whole St. Moon vaccine project turns out to be legitimate, we can't take a loss on the deal. So our other sticking place is exclusive maritime shipping rights in Canada. Land rights we can trade with, though.
1: (laughs) If they think they can make a profit in Saskatchewan, more power to them.
2: If they actually can make a profit in Saskatchewan, I would love to learn their secret.
1: You and George Weston?
2: What remains to be seen is how we can leverage Michael against his father. Any young man who broods the way he does is just waiting to get some of his own back from Daddy. I have to say, as dreary as the evening was, I had not expected the cracks in the Blake family facade to show so quickly.
1: Unless those are the cracks they want us to see.
2: My brother, the detective.
1: Gabrielle is shrewder than she lets on. I'm not sure where she learned to flirt, but wherever it is, there are a lot of very gullible men. Oh dear, what did she say? For starters, she was about as coy and demure as a bayonet charge.
3: Golly, but a lot of people are staring.
1: Of course they're staring. You're the most beautiful woman on the dance floor.
3: Are you sure it's not because there's an oriental girl here who's not serving drinks? Has it really become the fashion to give the evil eye to beautiful women?
1: That's jealousy, doll. It's been in fashion since ancient Egypt.
3: Does that mean you'll give me the evil eye if I make you jealous?
1: Are you planning to try?
3: Not yet. But you know how we women like to change our minds.
1: I've heard it said that changing her mind is a woman's prerogative.
3: And what's a man's prerogative, then?
1: To change it back.
3: So you mean to say you like where my mind is right now?
1: It's certainly causing me no pain.
3: How far are you willing to go to keep my mind where it
1: is? I suppose I'll stop by minding my manners and see where that gets me.
3: Oh, you beast. No, anything but that. In fact, I demand you forget your manners entirely.
1: But haven't you heard? Manners make it the man.
3: Maybe I want to unmake you.
1: You wouldn't be the first to try.
3: Oh, but they weren't Oriental. Don't you read magazines? Oriental women are all experts at enslaving the minds of men.
1: You are nothing if not hypnotic in that dress.
3: <laughs> Just imagine me out of it. Please. you obsessed
0: with A creepy
2: It's a wonder you escaped with your virtue intact.
1: By no fault of my own, I'm afraid. Almost immediately, she started talking about how handsome all the men in New York are.
2: She really did want to make you jealous.
1: She wanted to make me pursue her. The Blakes would have us think there's a political marriage on the table.
2: You don't think there really is?
1: Not for a moment. The only way that could benefit them is as a prelude to a takeover. If the reason they are considering this trade agreement at all is Canadian fears of reciprocity, taking us over would do them no good.
2: You think they want you distracted? You aren't the chairman of the company.
1: Exactly. Your full attention will be on the boardroom. I'm the one likely to look out the window. That's what they're worried about.
2: What do you think you might see?
1: I don't know. But it's all too sinister. Think about it. You have been trying to get this agreement signed for months, ever since we got word that St. Moon had some vaccine project in the works. That's awfully strange, though, since St. Moon doesn't even have a pharmaceutical division. Everything is under lock and key. Something was afoot. When St. Moon began dragging their heels on the agreement, the best we could do was assume that they weren't ready to start shipping whatever the vaccine really is. So far, so reasonable. Then, all at once, everything changes. Michael and Gabrielle return from Hong Kong. Michael is immediately put in charge of finalizing this contract. And a masked woman pops up, attacking St. Moon's trucks. All of it in the space of what? A month? Now they've got us down here to get the contract signed on the double.
2: All right, detective. Who done it?
1: Unfortunately, I'm not ready to call all the suspects into the drawing room just yet. The masked woman, I understand. St. Moon is planning something dastardly, which we ourselves have believed for months. And someone got wind of it. Someone in a weaker position than us. As such, her only option was brute force. St. Moon, fearing that she might actually discover something, decides to ramp up their plans. It's the twins I can't figure out. The first Virago attack was just before Michael and Gabrielle arrived in New York.
2: Not before. The first attack happened during the gala, celebrating their return.
1: I see. That sheds no light on anything. What's the point of attacking a St. Moon truck during a party being held by the Blakes? It's not as if there would be less security on the trucks.
2: There's no security at all on the trucks, unless the driver has a pistol.
1: It's a real stinker. The Virago attacking a St. Moon truck during Michael and Gabrielle's party can't be a coincidence. But it also seems utterly pointless. I need another pair of eyes on this.
2: You sound like you have a pair of eyes in mind already.
1: I've been in contact with a vigilance committee called the Silver Sabres. They are a rose and chain outfit that I'll be working with.
2: Cranston, you didn't! Didn't what? You've joined a vigilance committee? How could you? And after the way they've shackled that poor Swedish girl to the
1: Liberty Bell! Hold on a minute. She's Swiss, and the Liberty Bell is in Philadelphia.
2: How dare you correct me when I'm angry with you? I know where the Liberty Bell is, but it's ironic, and I couldn't think of anything famous in Boston.
1: Suddenly neither can I.
2: Good. Maybe there's some room for some sense in your head now. I don't care who you've made what promises to. You're not tying yourself up with any vigilance committee, and I don't care if I have to wring the Chamberlain's throat myself.
1: Vivian, I didn't join a vigilance committee.
2: You said you'd be working with them.
1: With, not for. Prepositions matter, Viv.
2: The next time you call me Viv, I'll have one of your teeth.
1: The Silver Sabres are going to be helping us in any way they can while we're here. This whole question of what St. Moon's Vaccine Project really is came from the Rose and Chain in the first place. As long as we're chasing that question, the Rose and Chain's vigilantes are at our side. After the meeting tomorrow, I'm going to see them. It's really just for introductions, but I'll mention this whole strange coincidence thing and see what they know.
2: Then promise me you won't join.
1: How about this? I promise I won't join without getting your blessing first. Good enough. I'm surprised you're so vehement. I thought having me chained to a committee in Silkhaven would suit you. I might be home for more than six months.
2: Because you'd have to. Oh... Cranston, I don't want you chained to anything. Of course, I want you home, but I want you there because you want to be there. And look, I know there are things you aren't telling me. It's all right. A man is entitled to a few secrets. I understand that.
1: What are you talking about?
2: It's all right, Cranston. I know things happened in Lake Placid that you aren't telling me about, and... I'm fine with it.
1: I'm not sure I understand.
2: Are you? I read the papers. Rosamond Syme was kidnapped for three days. The way you told it, she wasn't even gone for two. Don't pretend you don't have secrets from me, not when I'm telling you it doesn't matter.
1: They're not secrets, Vivian. They're just... I don't know how to say them out loud.
2: That's All right. You're a grown man who's seen terrible, terrible things. I won't begrudge you not wanting to revisit them. All I want is for you to come home.
1: I will. No? Really? I will. Honestly, I've been trying.
2: I can't say much for your aim.
1: It doesn't feel like home. But that's my fault, I know. I have to get back to some version of me that feels at home there. That's all. It's, it's just taken me a while. I won't join a vigilance committee. I'll find another way to track down Della Kane.
3: What
2: is your obsession with this bird woman?
1: She is so much more than that. You don't understand. If you'd seen her, you would know. And
2: I don't want to understand. I just want you back, and without you constantly glancing at the door. I don't understand? What do you understand? When mother and father died, I was alone. Father's whole family attended the funeral. Uncle Herbert asked me for money not a hundred feet from the graves. and Ethel kept telling me to buck up and telling me how much worse it was when Uncle Cecil killed himself. And they were the only two people who could bear to have a conversation with me. I spent weeks pacing around that penthouse, wondering if I should cover everything in sheets or toss it all out on the curb. I've been so strong, Cranston, strong for the company, strong for you. Well, now I'm tired. I'm tired of pretending I don't live in a house of ghosts. Tired of running errands for a secret society. And I'm tired that the minute my brother, the only real family I have left, the minute he gets home, he's looking for an excuse to leave.
1: I didn't want to leave. I wasn't looking for a reason to go. I brought it with me. I brought it with me from the war. I don't sleep very well, Vivian. Not since France. In two years, the only times I could sleep through the night were, well, if I had someone with me. I thought it would go away on its own, like a cut healing over time, but it hasn't. I still have trouble sleeping, unless I can convince some sufficiently charming young woman to join me. But the longer I stay with her, the more she can sense it. The restlessness. She would want to know, and I don't know how to explain it yet. Maybe that's not important. Because you're right. We're all a family we have left, and if I'm ever going to start feeling at home again, I need to actually spend some time there.
2: Didn't know
1: I could say the same, but we should know these things, so we're going to do this St. Moon deal, and then I'm coming back with you to Silkhaven. I can't abandon my search for Della kane but listen, she is my best hope for-for really coming back. I know that doesn't make sense, and one day maybe I can explain it, but I'm coming home with my own free will. We're going to figure out how to be a family again. But I need to find her. The one thing I'm asking from you is that you trust me on that.
2: You say you need to find her. I don't need to know why. We'll finish all this and go home and when you need to leave again, I'll come
1: with you. What about the company?
2: I'm the chairwoman. I'll let the board tell the president what to do. They'll all be much happier without the dame taking up space.
1: (laughs) Well, until then, I'll be in the next room.
2: Good night, Cranston.
1: Good night, Vivian. Sleep well. Podcasts are the newest and most exciting way to hear your favorite audio programs on the go, but you already knew that. What you may not have known is that the success and longevity of a podcast depends on you, our loyal listeners. If you've enjoyed the adventure, mystery, and heartbreak of this program, the best way to show your appreciation is by rating and reviewing our show on Apple Podcasts. These reviews make the show more visible on the Apple Podcasts main page which means that more people can discover what you already know. When you're in the mood for cozy noir adventure, nothing satisfies quite like Neon Jezebel. But it's up to you to let the world know. So why not take this moment to head over there now and rate and review? Afterwards, you can follow us on Instagram at Neon Jezebel Podcast, all one word. That's Neon Jezebel Podcast on Instagram. And now, we continue with our show.
3: Dear Beaufort, I want to thank you once again for indulging me last night. I wanted to meet Vivian Walker face to face, if only just once more, to give her my sincere gratitude and admiration before handing her over to you. She is every bit as admirable as I remember, and I am sure you two will get along swimmingly. The evening began at the hotel restaurant. Vivian ordered potatoes a la hollandaise and a medallion of lamb. She drank cranberry juice and soda, but added sugar to it after the first few sips. Her brother and Michael both had the crown roast of lamb. We ordered a shrimp cocktail for the table, but Cranston didn't even touch the plate. Cranston told a story from the war. It seems he spent most of it in France. In his story, he said that he was sent to a Canadian regiment for a time. A Canadian soldier had defected to the German side and They had hoped to capture the defector. Cranston was sent to interrogate the man once he was captured. All of this was at a place called Vimy Ridge. Before any fighting occurred, the soldiers spotted a lamb that was grazing somewhere near the trenches. Three soldiers were trying to lure the creature closer so that they could have some fresh meat for dinner. They asked Cranston to join them, though I couldn't understand why. He said that they wanted to see if he could persuade the animal to come closer. Perhaps he has some particular gift with animals. Whatever the reason was, they did manage to get their hands on the lamb. Once they did, Cranston noticed a blue ribbon was tied around its neck. From some earlier experience, Cranston knew this meant the lamb was intended for a dairy, not slaughter. The soldiers hardly cared what the farmers intended, only that they had fresh meat at hand. They argued some, then Cranston noticed a shape in the distance the soldiers took cover with the lamb. Some ways away, they saw a young girl searching the field where they hid. Cranston immediately took her to be the shepherd. The soldiers refused to return it, and he was faced with a choice. If he persisted, it would do some sort of irreparable damage to his camaraderie with the Canadians. For reasons I could not discern, Cranston was quite lonely during the war. Most of the soldiers distrusted him, or feared him for some reason. Being invited on this hunt was a rare moment of masculine friendliness, he said. However, he knew how the war had ravaged the countryside. The local farmers did everything they could to avoid the battlefields. If this little girl was venturing so close to the trenches, it could only mean that the lamb was deer in some way. Perhaps more of a pet than livestock, or it might have been part of a very small flock. Possibly the only animal they had left. He knew his conscience wouldn't allow him to enjoy the meat, should they take the lamb. He threatened the other soldiers. Again, I did not understand exactly what he threatened them with, but he claimed he had no intention of following through. Whatever the threat was, though, it sufficed, and the soldiers gave the lamb over. Cranston carried the beast himself to the little girl. She cried and hugged the lamb, then ran off back home. He said it was the one thing he did during the war that he was proud of. Michael told the chicken story after that, but he told it quite badly. He's still broken up about that journalist he met at the gala. I left him alone with Vivian as much as I could, hoping he would realize that there are other women in the world who will pay him attention. It did very little good. It's hard to believe that Vivian Walker could not distract him. I know she is a bit older than we are, but she is far from a spinster— to say nothing of the fact that she is blonde. She did not talk much over dinner. It seems Cranston is the more sociable of the pair, and she is the more business-minded one. However, she did tell a story about lingerie shopping with a burlesque dancer named Pearl. That is the sort of story one expects a man to tie his legs and knots over to hear more of. Michael seemed only passingly impressed— It is worth noting, though, that Vivian has a confessed weakness for silk underthings, and, as far as I know, her closest female companion is a burlesque dancer. She may have a preference for saucier conversations. If a woman like that cannot turn my brother's head, I'm at my wit's end. That journalist must have fucked him up one wall and down the other. She remains a going concern. While you handle the walkers tonight... I'll endeavor to learn who the mystery woman is. There's a real danger of Michael jeopardizing his position over her, and I need to determine exactly how dangerous she may end up being. If she is sufficiently clever, I may be able to convince Mother to allow the two to reunite. Of course, Father would have no issue with Michael taking up with a bimbo, but we would never get one of them past Mother. Whatever she may be, I do want to discover how exactly she ensorcelled Michael. The information could be useful later. The walkers are meeting with Father until noon today. After that, you and Vivian are scheduled to have lunch together, then shopping. The lawyers will have the afternoon to check the final terms of the contract, and Father expects the final document to be signed tomorrow afternoon. He is sending letters to a number of friendly papers, so that reporters can be on hand to witness the agreement. I imagine he will want us there for photographs. Should Vivian consent to being measured for a chongsam, I'll see you at the shop. Have fun with Vivian. Signed, Gabrielle Blake.
0: Neon Isabelle is written by Zachary Westbrook. Vivian Walker is played by Amy Alea. Gabrielle Blake is played by Susan Day. Cranston Walker is played by Zachary Westbrook. Announcement by me, Camille Foucault. You can connect with us on Twitter at Neon Gisebel Pod or on Instagram at Neon Gisebel Podcast. All of your episodes can be found on our website, neonjezebel.com.